Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 31st, 2017. Juggling things here, putting the program together, getting ready for the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out there is not even biblical. It it does not square with what God's Word says. It's not at all doctrine that you can find clearly explicated, um, written out, (laughs) explained in Scripture. Yeah, far from it. And uh, this is coming, you know, not from the lunatic fringe, although, you know, they're also part of this. But what we're noting is that uh, so much of the lunatic fringe, what used to be the lunatic fringe in Christianity, is literally moving right into the main stream of of evangelicalism right now. And it's, yeah, just crazy go nuts. Uh, Case in point, uh, we're going to start off today's program uh, with uh, what we're going to call dueling prophetic singing. Yeah, dueling prophetic singing. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, this is going to give Heidi Baker a run from uh, for her money. So we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, and you know, I we've been uh, looking at our notes here, looking at the program archives, and it's been a while since we've done a William Tapley update. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> what was I thinking? I mean, William Tapley has literally been a feature here on Fighting for the Faith. Since the inception of the program, so uh, we're going to look at a, uh, a recent video of his titled "Astrology or Bible Prophecy." <laughs> Can I vote for neither? Maybe it's neither. Uh, who knows? 
And uh, somewhere in there, we're going to take a break. Uh, we've got a David Crank update. Uh, see your future with clarity. Yeah, that's right. Are you uh, looking forward to seeing your future and you want to see it with clarity? Well, um, David Crank has got quite the teaching for you. And then we'll round off our number one with a mariachi trench update. We're going to head down to uh, the Cathedral of Frisco as we uh, go to Elevate Life Church and listen to Keith Craft explain how to find your rhythm. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I don't have a rhythm, um, but if you, maybe that's why I need to listen to this so I can find one. Um, and then uh, hour number two, we're going to head down to Saddleback Church, but we're not going to listen to Rick Warren. We're going to listen to guest preacher Sergio De La Mara as he teaches us the paradox of being a hero. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who knew? Uh, yeah, so uh, are you a hero? Well, you may not have realized that you're supposed to be. So, you know, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And uh, since I think we've got quite a bit that we need to uh, get to, let's go ahead and dive into our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Dueling Singing Prophecy segment. Here we go. So I was having this wedding, and and we we, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Yeah, that's uh, Heidi Baker and her uh, Shabba update music we use from time to time here for a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. So we're going to start off by heading down to the uh, uh, the fire and glory outpouring, so-called, uh, down in San Diego, as Miranda Nelson has uh, taken the stage for night 409 of the fire and glory outpouring, and uh, let's see what she's bringing to the table today. And he says, you are a sweet, sweet sound. Oh, your love, your love is a sweet, sweet sound to my ear. Your dance, your dance, it's a sweet, sweet rhythm. It's a sweet, sweet step. It's a sweet, sweet dance. (laughs) Oh, your laugh, your laugh. It's a sweet, sweet sound. It's a sweet, sweet sound to my ear. Don't you see, my child? I laugh at the scoffers. Uh, n- notice that she's speaking for God in first person. Yeah, I think she's channeling a spirit. She thinks it's the Holy Spirit, but uh, far from it is the best I can put it. I laugh at the mockers. Oh, oh when you laugh, it's a sweet, sweet sound to my ear. Because when you laugh, the chains break. When you laugh, the enemy 
demons flee. So apparently your laughter causes demons to flee. Who knew, you know? Oh, when you sing, when you sing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a demonic cackle at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when you sing, when you speak. <laughs> it sets my feet a dance. Yes. <laughs> And when I dance, oh, I dance over you. My word, my word, it says it, don't you know, Zephaniah 3. I dance, I sing over you. And when you dance and when you sing, you set my feet a dancing. When you dance and when you sing, you set my feet a dancing. You set my heart a flutter. You Um, wow um that is a little bit beyond creepy that's like creepy beyond all measure but okay so uh we're going to uh, head over to glory of zion uh and um this is the Global Spheres Center, the eight days of mega grace, and uh, they've got kind of a prophecy singing open mic thingy going on. Let's check in with them. He says, I'm going to the depths of your DNA, and I am dividing the things that have been in the cells of your DNA that have not been of me. And I'm beginning to cause a rousing sound in your cells that are coming back together and creating once again through the blood of the Lamb and through the Lion of Judah. And your cells are going to move with great sound. It's going to... My 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 cells are gonna move with great sound. Don't even know what that means. Destroy the things that have held your generations in captivity. The sound is going to begin to resound within the very depths of the core of who you are. It is something that you will not be able to hold back. It is the passion of the blood that has gone deep into the very core of our DNA. Okay, not sure what that meant. Um, let's check back with Miranda. You set my feet on the threshing floor. And it's where I bring the breakthrough. Yeah, now that's gibberish, by the way, or you can call it parcel tongue if you know what the reference is. Uh, that ain't tongues. I don't know what that is. Tongues is a human language. That, that ain't nothing. Oh, it's where the head of the enemy of the idols, it's where the head falls off. When you sing and when you dance and when you speak, and when you laugh and when you sing, <laughs> it sets my feet a-dancing. Oh, and it sets the demons fleeing. Oh, when you dance and when you sing and when you laugh, <laughs> it sets my joy a-laughing. It sets my feet a-dancing. Sing and it sets the demon. 
just running out of there like uh, this woman's lost her mind. Let's head back to Glory of Zion. Let's see what they're up to here. Heard the sound of grace, sound of grace when the blood flowed down. Heard the sound of grace. Yeah, I, I should explain. Fighting for the Faith is partly uh, a musical. When the blood flowed down. All of you and none of me. All of you and none of Is the purpose of this music to hypnotize somebody? I feel like this should be like the beginning of some kind of Broadway musical. Insanity, the musical. the sound of my ears bleeding. Well, that's good news. I was wondering when that was going to happen. The time of the cocoon is now officially ending. Apparently, God the Holy Spirit is announcing this through glory of Zion. And the time of the metamorphosis is about almost upon you. Yeah. Be ready. Get I, ready, church. The metamorphosis is upon you. I, I'm ready. I'm, re- I'm ready f- you know, to end my pupa stage. The butterflies will emerge. <laughs> Hey, yeah, wow. Okay, <laughs> let's check back with Miranda. My throne, it flows, that river. That river, it flows, it flows. Yeah, something's flowing. It ain't a river. From the throne. 
you drink, if you drink of that river, that river, that river, it's fine. It comes from that throne of mine, the throne of grace. Oh, don't you see, my child? Don't you see, my friend? Yeah, we don't do this at uh, the church I serve. You know? Just drink from the river that proceeds from my throne, and you will drink my grace just taste and see just taste and see that i'm good my river is fine oh it's fine it brings refreshing to the weary soul it brings yeah who knew uh, you know prophetic singing was a performance art who knew you know life it brings life it quenches every thirst that water that i give it will never run dry my it has no end. My throne of grace, it has no end. And the river that proceeds from my throne, oh, it just keeps running. It just keeps proceeding from my throne. And the more you drink of it, the more you step into it, the farther that river can extend, the farther that river can So the river wants to proceed from the throne. Okay. <clears throat> Check back with Glory of Zion here. There was nothing like that sound. Oh, it was a deafening sound. Oh, it was a shaking sound. Yeah, no, I actually I think this is like the sound of insanity. I mean, I don't know what this is. This is not worship, this is not praise, this is just gobbledygook. I mean, I have no other words uh to describe what it is that uh that we've been hearing and yet it's, you know, these people say that this is very important stuff, you know, that we need to not box the Holy Spirit or keep him from doing what he wants. So apparently, you know, they think that they're giving free reign to the spirit, you know, and the spirit is really moving and doing stuff that, you know, this is supposed to be a demonstration of the thing that the spirit, it's demonstration of something. It's demonstration that these people have literally cooked their brains on what they think is the glory. And uh, things ain't working right upstairs anymore. That's all I got to say. Moving along. Yeah, talk about not right upstairs. <laughs> Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon, rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon, if you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Yeah, that's right. Doom and gloom coming soon. That's uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. 
And uh, it's been a while since we've checked in with him. And uh, we're going to be watching, or not watching, y'all will be listening to uh, a recent video of his titled Astrology or Bible Prophecy. Um, I'm going to choose maybe neither, but one thing's for sure, it's not Bible Prophecy. But let's check in with William Tapley. He's got a bit of a turf war on his hands, and uh, I'll let him explain the details. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. Well, would you believe in a few short nine weeks from today, the great sign as prophesied in Revelation 12.1 will occur in the constellations. Uh, it- uh, <laughs> what? And here is how it looks. I am sure you have seen many videos about it. Uh, no. Um, so it has something to do with, um, the sun appearing in the constellation Virgo? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, no, I, pretty sure this has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. By the way, um, you know, we are just a few short weeks away from the big American so- great solar eclipse. And I'm really looking forward to it. I've never seen a, a total solar eclipse. And uh, so I'm, I'm making plans to actually, you know, see the solar eclipse. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, these don't come around very often. But you want to know what uh, what the upcoming solar eclipse has, eclipse has to do with Bible prophecy? Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely nothing. Yeah, um, solar eclipses have been occurring since uh, God created uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth. Yeah, it's just kind of a natural part of the creation that he set up, you know. Posted on YouTube and many articles on the Internet. But it was I who discovered this sign more than six years ago. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah. Hmm. Okay. April of 2011. And now you can find a half dozen videos posted every day. On this subject. More- yeah, that's because any person who's a crackpot and has a video camera can set up a YouTube account and pretty much say just about anything, you know? 10,000 in total since that date back in 2011. And how many of them give me credit, by the way, for discovering the sign? Well, so. <laughs> Did you copyright the sign, you know? As far as I can see. Not, but remember what Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his own country. So that... No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not what Jesus said. (laughs) Jesus said a prophet is without honor in his own hometown, not his whole country. (laughs) Otherwise, Jesus would have had no honor in all of Israel. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't be surprised. And I got an interesting... A message from one of my subscribers a couple of days ago from Well Prepped Pantry. And here's what he wrote. Third warning from Jim Beckwith. Jim evidently has posted four videos on this topic just in the last couple of days. Is calling out all Christians who are spewing on about Scott Clark's 923 event data. So apparently there are a lot of turf wars in the uh, YouTube so-called prophetic community. I, uh, 
Yeah, I, I was not aware of this. But I think as William Tapley continues to go on and has more and more uh, uh, competition, um, <laughs> those out there who, who would like to dethrone him as a co-prophet of the end times, I, you know, apparently you know, they, they've got some pretty nasty backbiting things that they do there. He's calling you a false prophet, heretic, or liar if you subscribe to what is coming on 923. He is saying that this is forbidden astrology predicting. And he exposes Scott Clarkland, Alan Horvath, and Robert Breaker, and others who claim that this date has to do with the rapture. And I agree with Jim Beckwith. You can never know the date for the rapture. Right, yeah. Jesus said over and over again that he will come like a thief in the night. He will come like a bridegroom at midnight. You cannot know when it will occur. So anyone who says that September 23rd is the date of the rapture, they are full of baloney. The rapture could occur today. Or Yeah, it's just some kind of weird irony that I get a chuckle. Um, every time <laughs> somebody talks like this, um, yeah, uh, William Tapley, you know, throwing down on false prophets. <laughs> just, uh-huh. This week or this month. Please don't plan on a specific date for the rapture. You have to be ready at all times. However, I do disagree with Jim Beckwith's article because he says that this great sign is about astrology. That is a mistake. Satan is the author of astrology, and that is a perversion of God's signs. Jesus said there would be signs in the sun, moon, and the stars to announce his coming. Right. And... The Bible says that this is the great sign, the Revelation 12 sign of the woman clothed with the sun. But Jim Beckwith did give an interesting... Uh, the great sign of the uh, constellation Virgo clothed with the sun. Yeah, okay. In his video, and he said... Which means you're not even going to see the sign. I mean, you can't see... The stars, while the sun's out, you just see the one star. That would be the sun. There is an article in Wikipedia on this, so let me show you this. I, oh, yeah, Wikipedia, great prophetic resource. not been aware that Wikipedia was now covering this revelation. The Revelation 12 sign. <sighs> 12 sign, and you can look this up for yourself. It's quite interesting, and they make a few mistakes. Beckwith says that the wiki in Wikipedia stands for wicked. Well, I always did kind of question that term. I always thought it stood for witches, W-I-C-C-A. But anyway, that's what Jim Beckwith says. And here's this article, and it's a pretty good overview, except for, as I say, a few errors. The Revelation 12 sign is an apocalyptic belief promoted by a number of Christian ministries and news organizations, which state that a literal fulfillment of the prophecy given in Revelation 12 will occur on September 23rd, 2017. This passage of scripture in the Christian Bible describes a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She is pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. One of my uh, subscribers sent me an interesting note. Well, how do you know that she is in pain? How do the stars and the sun and the planets indicate pain? And I think he has a good point. Maybe something will occur on that date that indicates pain. Maybe a lot of thunder or something. 
Yeah, no, um, I'm pretty sure that what we're seeing here is actually prophesied in Scripture as a sign of the end times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Second uh, Thessalonians, Second um, Thessalonians chapter two. Yeah, and uh, here's what it says, and uh, you know, see if you can kind of catch the gist of this. Uh, verse nine: The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah, I I think, yeah, this is an example of that particular prophetic sign being fulfilled in our time right here. Yeah, so I wonder if they'll write a Wikipedia article about it. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Checking in with uh, David Crank and Keith Kraft. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? Oh, I'll show you. 
We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. 
I'm going to have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh, dear. It's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Striving for Eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference, August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseboro. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the charismatic gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. Uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they have so-called prophets. Just say it. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here 
without him. All right, moving along, time for a David Crank update, so let's crank this up. See what I just did there? Here we go. I've just closed my eyes again Climbed aboard the dream weaver train Trying to take away my worries of today And leave tomorrow behind Ooh, dream weaver So we're heading over to Faith Church St. Louis and uh, listening to a recent sermon delivered by David Crank. And, um, well, it's all about um, the anointing and your future in the seeing (laughs) seeing your future with Claire. Things like that. But uh, let's check in with David Crank. So this weekend we're talking about the anointing. Everybody shout the anointing. The anointing. So I brought this up here because I just got back from vacation. We did five countries in 18 days. It's a whole lot of uh, driving around some airplanes, trains, automobiles. We did it all. The f- yeah, note uh, the uh, <clears throat> the summer season is an important vacation season for the vision casting leaders who can afford to, you know, <laughs> stay in five diamond resorts and things like that. Now, on the stage there at uh, Faith Church is a windshield, and the backdrop is of a highway, uh, you know, some kind of like American road or something like that. This week was with the kids, so we had Ashton, who was up for singing a minute ago, and her brother, and uh, and my daughter-in-law, and then, thank God, there were, a week later, we sent them home. Come on, somebody, and it was me and Nicole, it was good. But the first, the first week was kind of funny. We were actually in, uh, I don't even remember where we were for sure. Maybe Ireland or Scotland. I think it was Scotland. And we got, we got something going on to where the GPS is telling you what to do. So that's a woman telling you what to do. Then I got Nicole, a woman telling me what to do. I got Ashton, a woman telling me what to do. I've got, you know, MJ telling me what to do. And then Austin's even chiming in. And the only person with an international driver's license is me. Come on, somebody. And so I'm driving. I'm driving. And we got lost, turned around. And eventually we got to a situation where uh, Nicole kept failing. So I said, hey, Morgan kept saying she had an idea. So I said, let's just go with, with Morgan. So then Nicole got mad. And she got vocal. And then, then MJ got vocal because we went down the street and didn't work it out. And then she's like, see, she doesn't know more than I do. And then at the same time on the inside, the Holy Spirit's telling me this would be a good time to exercise the right to remain silent. Really, the Holy Spirit told you that. Wow, direct revelation on when to <clears throat> remain silent. Who knew? Yeah. Now, note, we're not uh, beginning with a biblical text. This is the beginning of the sermon. And uh, I'm not sure what he's preaching on here, although he said something about the anointing. And the name of the video is, Do You Wish You Could See Your Future With Clarity? So the anointing is going to help you see your future with clarity, apparently. <laughs> but I decided, no, I'm mad too. Anybody ever been mad and you're like, screw it. I know that I shouldn't say anything, but God, dog, I'm saying something. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> And so then I chimed in. I said, you know what? I, I think I got a good sense of direction. I'll know. And, and it would have worked. 
had that not been a dead end street, apparently it's a bad area. They had shut the street down. So now, you know, they're like, well, you don't know what you're doing either. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody just shut up. <laughs> but the problem is a lot of times in life, there's a lot of dead end streets. There's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of changes. And maybe Google Maps didn't get to your part right now. So we're going to basically take the dead end street that he experienced somewhere in Europe and turn that into an allegory regarding the dead ends in our life. Uh-huh. So we're allegorizing David Crank's life in order to solve a problem. And don't worry, the Holy Spirit talks to him directly. A little confused, but I want to talk to you about the anointing that the Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke of the enemy. It doesn't break it. A lot of people say it breaks it, but it destroys it. Everybody shout it, destroys it. So while we were driving, I had this illustration come up because these bugs kept hitting the windshield. We're in Switzerland. And then it got that time of night where it got really, really buggy and you couldn't see a lot. And have you ever been in that spot in life where you couldn't decide whether it was smarter to actually turn the windshield wiper fluid on because it's going to smear or just live with it? Anybody been there? And there was this moment where I started kind of shooting the, the juice on the window and it started clearing a little bit, but it made it worse for a while. But then it got better. But then I got out of the car at some point at a service station, and I really went to it, man. I'm scrubbing and scrubbing, and some of those... So he's got a prop, which is one of those windshield wiper squeegee thingies. It took a lot, a lot of scrubbing. And it was then in there that I had the analogy for this sermon that the local church is like that. (laughs) So he's in Switzerland cleaning the bugs off of his windshield, and... All of a sudden, oh, I've got a sermon. I've got a sermon. The Bible says that we see through a glass darkly. We're a little lost. If we could see how good our future would be, we would stay on the right path. But we're turning down and and we can't see really well because all these things hit hit our windshields, like divorce, setbacks. (laughs) So if you had a setback hit the windshield of your life and just leave bug guts all over it, don't worry. The anointing will... Squeegee that right off. The Obamacare, the Trump train, whatever your deal is that you're upset about. (laughs) Obama and Trump are bugs on your windshield. I I may not want to argue with that. What are we going to do? None of this takes God by surprise. And through his anointing, it can absolutely catapult you into the next direction. Clean up that windshield and you'll be singing. I can see clearly. What? I, 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 wow, I'm not even sure what to make of this. Well, that, you know, ex-husband's gone. Come on, somebody, whatever it is. All right. I didn't mean it. Yes, I did. Okay. First John 2.20, First John 2.20, it says, check this out, but you have been anointed. Yeah, First John 2.20. It's weird that we're kind of starting off in the middle of uh, an epistle here. First John 2.20. Um, let's take a look at, we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis here, which are context, context, context. A little bit of a note. First uh, John, uh, the epistle of First John, a little bit challenging to do exegesis because it doesn't follow a standard linear outline. In fact, its outline is almost circular. So you kind of have to pay attention from the beginning of the epistle and kind of work, you know, with the uh, the outline given. It's, so when you read the commentaries on it, it's it's uh, noted that this is a challenging uh, epistle to work with. But I'll start at verse seven and see if we can see what's going on here. If uh, the apostle John 
in this epistle to Christians is uh, telling us that we need to clear the windshields of our life um, you know, from the bug residue, from, you know, uh, divorces, upsets, slipsies, oopsies, and bad politicians. Um, uh, for, so First John 2, 7, uh, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining, talking about Christ. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, well, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but this is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Now, great passage, and you kind of see the, you know, kind of the interplay here, and, uh, you know, what's the big promise? Eternal life, a warning about Antichrist, a warning about liars, no lie is of the truth, and it's in the context of warning us against the world's desires that still reside in us, uh, because we still have a sinful nature, this side of our death or Christ's return, and also a warning about the Antichrist, the false teachers and people of that sort. And that's the context in which uh, the anointing is mentioned. And you'll note uh, the supreme lack of, well, how shall I put it bluntly, um, windshield theology in First John chapter 2. You have been, not going to be, like if you come to seven services... You come to church for a year and you got, you know, all the bulletins as a receipt. No, it says you have been anointed. You hold a sacred appointment from 
and you have been given an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. This says you know the truth. Uh, I think he's reading the Amplified, which is not a real translation. About all things. You have an unction. You have been anointed, and you have an unction. Everybody... Now, note, by quoting this out of context, he's now... He's now going to be able to discuss the anointing apart from the context in which the phrase itself appeared in First John. And this is a Bible-twisting technique. Rip a passage out of context, find the, the word that you're looking for, kind of blur it a little bit, and then kind of freewheel it with your own theology. Got it together, class. I have been anointed, and I have an unction. Now, that unction is that still small voice, oftentimes, that will tell you it'd be a good time to exercise the right to remain silent. That's not what First John 2.20 is saying. He thinks, hey, go back, tell somebody you're sorry. You're talking too much. These are inner promptings. This is an unction from the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm going to teach today, a church of lives worth a drive. Maybe you drove a, an hour from Bonterre, Valley Mines, different people. In fact, Valley Mines, my people over there, I met some people over here that drove an hour from Bonterre. I said, you guys need a carpool. You need to get to know each other. That's why growth track's important, so you get, get to hook up with other people that, that may be driving with you. So you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. One word from God can change your life forever. In other words, a lot of people are driving down the road and they can't see really well. And they're actually heading the wrong direction or they're heading towards danger. But the Bible said you have been anointed. Now I want to talk about the anointing. First of all, the anointing is a person. He is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus had to put on an earth suit, when he became flesh, we know about the virgin birth. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit of God, through insemination, gave him an earth seat into this woman Mary. There was no sexual relation, but there was definitely an impartation. And who did that? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and he can't resurrect himself because he's dead. Who resurrected him? The Holy Spirit. Now, interesting here, when you uh, study scripture on this, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, scripture says the Father did. Scripture says the Holy Spirit did. But Jesus himself said that he would. Let me read a passage for you. It's found in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2 as well. Starting at verse 13, it says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Mm -hmm. So according to Jesus, yeah, and I think he would know uh, how that was going to go down, he uh, participated in his own resurrection. Important to note that. And Jesus comes back to earth. He walks around on earth now. He's getting ready to go back to heaven where he's seated right now. And while he's walking and leaving, the disciples said, please don't leave us. And he said, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. 
He's a comforter. He's a counselor. He's an advocate. He's a standby. He'll teach you everything you need to know about life. He'll direct you through inner unctions. You have an anointing. Everybody say, He'll direct you through inner unctions? Jesus didn't say that. I have an anointing. So now we know that Jesus is in heaven today, sitting next to God. The Bible says that God is literally sitting in heaven right now, and he's laughing. Sitting next to God? Jesus is God in human flesh. Wow, there's some weird theology running around in his, um, in his brain here that is, hmm, hmm. I think he's laughing at stuff that the enemy tries to do to you that he thinks that's so not going to work. Like when my divorce happened and I was living in a basement apartment, I was very depressed. That God's laughing, going, that's so not going to work. Actually, I'm going to give him a wife that's absolutely crazy and anointed and powerful that the devil's going to wish he'd never done this. So he laughs because he goes, if you stay on the right path, if you keep your windshield clean, you will show up at the right place at the right time, anointed, qualified, empowered by God Almighty. Uh... So you're going to note here the doctrine that David Crank just taught. That's not actually found in the scripture. He is making up his own theology, quoted a verse out of context. He actually was not giving us correct Christology. In fact, it was kind of convoluted. And uh, and the the well the applause lines that he was uh, seeking from people. Um, you know, had to do with his doctrine. And his doctrine, again, not biblical. His teaching on the anointing is false. It's a false doctrine of the anointing. And important to note here, uh, the, the uh, Greek word for anointing is Christos. The Hebrew word you should all be familiar with is Mashiach. Yeah, yeah Messiah. And Jesus warned that in the last day there would be false Christoi false anointed ones. And the NAR and major parts of the charismatic movement teach a false doctrine regarding the Christoi, uh-huh. the false anointed ones. Beware. All right, moving along. Time for a Keith Craft update. These are the sounds of the mariachi trench. Deepest place, apparently, on planet Earth, according to Keith Kraft. You'll have to check the archives of Fighting for the Faith if you want to know the whole story. But strange, strange things emanating from the Mariachi Trench. So we're going to be heading over to the Cathedral of Frisco as we listen to Keith Kraft uh, in his sermon series titled Staycation. Staycation, that's the name of it. Summer Staycation. And he's going to be teaching us about finding our rhythm. Yeah, finding our rhythm. Another man-made doctrine, for sure. I mean, this is not a biblical doctrine. Although Keith Craft, I'm pretty sure, will do his level best to try to make it look like this is what Scripture says. Uh, but far, far, far from it. Uh, so let's check in with uh, Keith Craft and his sermon titled... Summer staycation, finding your rhythm. Here we go. Let's put our hand over our heart and make our declarations. Come on, say it with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. 
I am God's workmanship, created for good works. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands. Come on, say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen? Yes! So glad you guys are here. This is the second week of our staycation series, and this is always such a fun time. Of course, we are in the middle of summer, and I just hope you have the greatest summer of your life, and I hope that you'll make the staycation series and Elevate Life Church, your family of choice, that you'll make this a part of your vacation as well. So again, we're so excited to, for those of you that are here live and also for those that are watching on the internet and television. Hey, well, as I start this message, one of the things that I wanted to tell you, of course, our theme this week is New York. And uh, I had the privilege for many years to travel uh, with an organization and leadership and business seminars where Rudy Giuliani was one of the speakers um, in those seminars. And of course, uh, I think we've got a picture there. And then also... Uh, my family's been to New York several times. It's one of my children's favorite places to go. I should say my girls. Josh doesn't really care about going anywhere. <laughs> but, but the fact is, there's some cool stuff about, about New York. New York sets train tracks on fire to keep them free of ice in the winter. Pretty interesting. Hey, let's just light everything on fire. That didn't sound like a hazard, does it? New York City is the city with the largest Polish population after Warsaw. One in every 38 Americans uh, live in New York City. Those that are, are that crazy? The city gets about 15 times more snow than the South Pole every year. This shouldn't be too surprising, though, because the Antarctica is a desert and therefore receives very little precipitation. Einstein's eyes are locked in a safe deposit box somewhere in New York. Hmm. The Empire State Building has its own zip code. How about that? And then there's a man who mines sidewalk cracks for gold, and he makes over $600 a week all in New York. And I, I love... Uh, New York, I love the city. Uh, but anyway, when, when, uh, in a lot of these events where Rudy Giuliani... Uh-huh. Again, note, we're not beginning in a biblical text. Few do nowadays. ...was introduced. Um, they would, they would uh, play the song, New York, New York. And uh, you're hearing it right now. Frank Sinatra singing, New York, New York. If I can make it... Th- Is this a praise song? I'll make it anywhere, it's up to you, New York, New York. Well, anyway, we're talking today about the rhythm of life, and is there, New York's a crazy place that never sleeps. In fact, if there's one city in the United States of America that's out of rhythm, it would be New York. I'm talking about a subject that is one of the most important subjects, I think, that I could ever teach on. In fact, uh, The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and justification, right standing before God and eternal life? It's so important that uh, I've waited, I've waited, I've waited 
to even really teach on it outside my mastermind. I've taught some of the people who are part of my CEO masterminds. I've taught some of this in the context of of that environment because it really is it's a very deep subject but yet I'm going to I'm going to simplify it for all of us but the subject is rhythm rhythm R- rhythm yeah yeah I I I got r- rhythm I got yeah I I don't have any um I teach about rhythm versus routine a lot of people, their life is filled with routine. Uh, but you teach this. Oh, yeah. Does does the Bible teach this? Out of rhythm, and in fact, most people they look at their daily routines, and it's kind of the tail wagging the dog, rather than realizing that we all have a rhythm, and we need to strive to build our routines around our rhythm, so that our routine doesn't right because you know. That, that's what Jesus did, man. He he strove to build his routine around his rhythm. A lot of people get this backwards, and so it really stifles their Christian sanctification. You know, outside of our rhythm, and and I'm going to be teaching on this uh, in August. In fact, it's going to be a series called "The Rhythm of Life," and it's so it's the rhythm of life. Because the number one killer in the United States of America is heart disease. <laughs> heart disease. Okay. Um, is is that a deficiency in proper rhythm? Why is that? It's because people's hearts get out of rhythm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that heart disease has something to do with the clogging of your arteries. You know, somebody, their heart doesn't get out of rhythm just because they've eaten bad, although that could be a part of heart disease. Yeah. Uh, but your your heart gets out of rhythm or in arrhythmia because of your life being out of rhythm. <laughs> Is it me or does David, Cra- uh, not David, Cra- Keith Kraft, does Keith Kraft sound like He's just making stuff up here and trying to sound profound. I mean, isn't the job of a pastor to preach the word? I think there's a biblical text that might say something like that. Second Timothy chapter four. And while doctors don't necessarily talk a lot about that, yeah. they'll just say, oh, it's stress or something's caused your heart to get out of rhythm. The fact is your heart has a rhythm, your body has a rhythm, your life has a rhythm. So he's going to teach us biorhythms? Again, I'm going to speak uh, going into the fall. I'm going to talk about the rhythm of life, but I wanted to introduce it during this vacation series because really our vacations, our sila, need to be a part of our rhythm. <laughs> so <laughs> vacation is a sila. Mm-hmm. You don't know what that is. Check the Psalms. I mean, when you're reading through the Psalms and it says selah, selah, it's telling you to pause there and kind of consider what it is that you just read, what it is you just said. I mean, really kind of don't just run through this quickly. The selahs in the uh, in the in the Psalms are kind of the speed bump that says, 
stop, slow down, and just just consider what the magnitude, the depth of what it is that you just read in the psalm. So apparently vacations are silas. And, um, but anyway, I want to talk about finding your rhythm. Finding your rhythm. And your rhythm of life is your way of life. You create a better rhythm and you create a better life. Right, yeah. So the reason why your life isn't better is because you haven't created a better rhythm. So everybody has a rhythm of life, mm-hmm. but they may not realize that they have a rhythm of life. They've chosen a rhythm of life, whether they realize it or not. It's by default or by design. And- right, you don't want one of those default rhythms. Yeah, that, that's, just, that's terrible stuff right there. I'm going to just introduce this concept because I want to help you find your rhythm. So what is rhythm? Take a look at your notes. Rhythm is the choreography of your life to the beat of your heart. (laughs) What on earth? Where does the Bible teach? Is this from the Greek, the Hebrew, maybe the Aramaic, you know? It is a divine understanding that God has a plan and you're a part of that plan. Uh Uh-huh. Dream destiny thingy doctrine here. He has a purpose for why you were born, and your rhythm is to live knowing that your life has meaning and purpose. You know, what's interesting about that is that when I did this study uh, last year on the Blue Zones, and actually not only read the... The, the Blue Zones. <laughs> Are those found in Scripture? Blue Zones book, but begin... I've, I've always... It's, it's always been intriguing to me in my adult life about uh, anti-aging. In other words, can you reverse the aging process? Uh, and, uh, and the fact is, we know we can't. You know, there is no magic Ponce de Leon, um, you know, sort of young river that we can find. And, uh, and, and ter- Fountain of youth. Turn back, turn back the time. Uh, you know, even... Share things about. If I could turn back time, I mean, if I could turn back time, but I, I, I do want to grow old well. I do want to grow old gracefully. Maybe, maybe another word, gratefully. And, uh, and just because you get older doesn't mean that things have to get worse. I think you can get older and things get better in Jesus' name. First mention of Jesus there, he tacked it onto his own doctrine. But in this last study that I did on the Blue Zones, the seven different places around the world where people are living uh, beyond 100 and living beyond 100 healthy, what was really interesting to me is that all of them attached meaning and purpose to their longevity. Uh, See, yeah, they, they, they kind of backed into the whole dream destiny thingy doctrine, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no way to save this sermon. It's, um, <laughs> I don't know where we are. I mean, we're just literally listening to the ravings and the musings and the doctrines created in the mind of Keith Kraft. None of what he's saying has anything to do with Scripture. I don't know why anyone want to wake up on a Sunday morning and go to a place called a church and listen to that. That doesn't make any sense. Again, the job of a pastor is to preach the word. And Scripture says this explicitly. The text that we go to quite often is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
Starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, writing to young Pastor Timothy, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Preach the word. I mean, note here, Keith Kraft wasn't preaching the word. David Crank clearly wasn't preaching the word. I don't know what that singing was at the beginning of the program. They weren't actually preaching the word. But the job of a pastor is to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. With complete patience and doctrine, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Yeah, the myths about blue zones and the dream destiny thingy doctrine and and the rhythm of life, these are all man-made myths. These are not biblical doctrines. And uh, like I said, Keith Kraft, he was not actually preaching the word. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading to Saddleback, but we're not going to be listening to uh, Rick Warren. We're going to be listening to uh, guest speaker, Sergio de la Mora as he talks about the paradox of being a hero. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Trying to think if we've ever done a Sergio de la Mora sermon. Hmm. He looks familiar, but let's just say if I have, it's been a wee bit of time. But let's do this right.
good, the bad, and uh, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Saddleback Church out there in Southern California. Sergio de la Mora presiding. Like I've said already, the name of the sermon is The Paradox of Being a Hero. Hadn't considered this important paradox before, but, you know, hey, you know, apparently we're supposed to be the heroes. Not familiar with a biblical text that teaches this doctrine, but, hey, in today's evangelical world, who needs biblical texts? You can just make stuff up, which seems to be everyone's favorite technique nowadays. So let me go ahead and back off on the music and without any further ado, here is Sergio de la Mora, The Paradox of Being a Hero. Here we go. Good morning. Good afternoon, Saddleback. Could you please remain standing with me? Come on, get back up. We're going to work your quads today. Would you grab the hand of the person right next to you? Go right across the aisle. You might even be holding the hand of your future spouse. Like, oh, why didn't I sit in the bleacher over there? Let's pray together today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege first to live in the United States of America. We thank you that we live in Southern California. We thank you that you've given us the privilege to be here in your presence. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. We didn't come to hear the voice of a man. We came to hear from you. So today we give... All right, well, if we're going to hear from God, that would require Sergio to rightly handle a biblical text. If we don't rightly hear God's word exegeted and Christ exalted and proclaimed, then we're going to hear from Sergio de la Mora rather than God. Permission. Speak intuitively and powerfully to our lives. And today we also bless our pastor, Pastor Rick and Kay. Cause this season in their life to be a season of refreshing, of strength, new vision, new passion, as we anticipate... Just what we need. Rick Warren getting new vision. What is yet to come in the fall. We thank you for what will be said and done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone in agreement says... Come on, give us a good Baptist clap today. Come on. Stay standing. Stay standing. You guys, come on. (laughs) Get back up. I, I, I want us to read a verse in the scripture together. Whether you brought your Bible, you want to turn on your Bible, or you just want to read it from the screen. I want to. What's the point of opening or turning on your Bible if all you're going to read is a verse? I want to talk today about the paradox of being a hero. And I want to use this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's really obscure. But we. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. Find this guy called Jabez. Uh, Yeah, that's right. It's time for the prayer of Jabez sermon. And I want to read his story to you. And I really believe it's going to speak to you in a powerful way. The Bible says in verse 9, There was a man named Jabez who was more distinguished than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and extend my lands. Please keep me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain 
and God granted him his request. You may be seated today. (laughs) So the word paradox means a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement. Or a proposition that when investigated or explained... Yeah, um, where does the word paradox occur here in First Chronicles chapter 4? Now, uh, let's, uh, let's talk here for a second here. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 1. The sons of Judah, Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, Shobal... Re'aiah, the son of Shobal, fathered Jahath, and Jahath fathered Ahumai and Lahad. And these were the clans of the Zorathites. These were the sons of Etam, Jezreel, Ishma, Idbash, and the name of their sister was Hezelelpani. Tough name. Penuel fathered Gedor, Ezer fathered Husha, these were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. Asher, the father of Tekoa, had two wives, Hela and Naarah. Naarah bore Ahuzam and Hefer, Temai, and Haashatari. And these were the sons of Naarah, the sons of Hela, Zareth, Izhar, and Ethnon. Koz fathered Anub. Zoabah and the clans of Ahar Hel, the son of Harum, Jabez, was more honorable than his brother. So you're going to note what's going on here. This is in the context of, well, a genealogy. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And... um, and so Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm or evil. Yeah, the uh, the Hebrew there for uh, Ra um, could mean also evil, so that it not, might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. All right, so this is a prayer for blessing rather than suffering. And that's all we get, and it's in the context of, well, a genealogy. All right, so now uh, Sergio has no sooner read out the uh, relevant passage where he now talks about paradox, but I don't see anything paradoxical in this text. They prove to be well-founded or true. Jabez was a paradox. No one expected him to end up getting well, to be in the Bible. No one expected that Jabez... <laughs> what? <laughs> Where do we learn of all of this opposition? You know, this kind of tacit opposition to Jabez being in the Bible. Where does it say that? Would, well, well, his name would be recounted in years to come. In fact, when Jabez was born, his name means pain. Imagine when he goes to Starbucks. Can I have a latte? Sure, what's your name? The one who causes pain. Or just imagine him knocking on the door of a girl who's he wants to date, and the dad opens the door, and he says, Hello, Mr. Johnson. Hello, I'm here for Carol. What is your name? The one who causes pain. You know, when your name is Jabez, it's hard to make friends because everyone's afraid of you. It's hard to have a good girlfriend because we don't know. Is he going to stick around? Is he going to cause me pain? Is he going to be like Billy who broke my heart? 
The point is, is that Jabez... This is what we call eisegesis. He's reading things into the biblical text that are not there, nor are they valid inferences from the context of the narrative. So this is straight up eisegesis. Eisegesis means to read things into the text. with With the label, with the sticker on him that said, I was born out of pain. Some say he was born out of wedlock. Some say he was born and his father disappeared. We're not sure. But what we do know is this, is that as the author of the book of Chronicles, and this is all for my Bible students, was they were penning as the scribe was penning. Some think it was Ezra that wrote the book of First Chronicles. As he was penning the names and the descendants of Judah, um, there is this names being mentioned one after another. And then there's this random break to talk about this guy called Jabez. So imagine this, he's writing, it says, Asher was the father of Tekoa, who had two wives named Hila and Hara. Hara gave birth to Hamuza, and Hela gave birth to Zareth, Ishar, and Ethan, and Koz, who became the ancestor of Anub, Zoabeb, and all the families of Ahariel, son of Haram. Then there was a man named Jabez. It was like, it was like, the scribe is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and then God all of a sudden says, hold it. Taps on his shoulder and says, hold it. There's this guy named Jabez. I want to talk about him. And for a scribe to begin to write, I'm sure the scribe said, well, uh, who is he a father? There is no father linked to him. There is no dad linked to Jabez. So for a Jew, for a scribe to begin to acknowledge a son who has no origin, no father as his origin, not only is shameful to the culture, it's spiritually shameful because that is one thing that is completely looked down upon is children without a father. So here the scribe is almost frustrated that he has to write that there was a guy named Jabez who has no father linked to him and that he was honorable, which is... How do you know the scribe was frustrated? an insult, and that he prayed daily, which is a question that still in the scribe's mind needs to be determined. And then he has to write, and God granted his request. And then the scripture quickly moves into Kelab, the brother of Shehua, was the father of Meher. Meher was the father of Eshton. Eshton was the father of Beth Raphah. And then all these names, it was almost like the scribe is like, good, I'm glad I got over that. Now let me keep reading. Let me keep writing. What in the text makes you think that the uh, scribe was relieved to get past the Jabez part? The names of the descendants of Judah, because I feel really good in this quadrant where I can organize God to fit my box. Because about three verses ago, God just blew my mind. He broke all the rules, the sabbatical rules, the religious rules. And he made me have to write the story of a guy who, in our culture, in our day, no one was really proud of. Uh-huh. Again, where, where, do, you, where do you find this, um, this stuff from the mind of the scribe writing this? Um, where do you see it in the text? That he makes the book. I'm not sure if you might feel that way about you. That you're not expected by many to rise and become the hero. No one's looking to you at work. So because you read this portion of the genealogy of Judah and Jabez is mentioned, now I'm supposed to rise and become a hero. 
But what exactly was heroic about what Jabez prayed? His name means pain, and he's asked God to relieve him of his pain and suffering. How is that, quote-unquote, heroic? To outperform everyone else, you know, though you're the first there and the last to leave, and maybe you're at school and you're ready to go back to school, and you're just frustrated because of the professors that you're going to have to face who somehow don't look at you as the rising star. Or maybe you just come from a family where they just know nothing ever good has come from you and nothing they expect to come from you will be great. And so you're in church today and, and you hear about this guy called Jabez. So today I'm not preaching for the one that has the nice house, the nice car, the Christian dog, the Christian cat, the Christian kids, the Christian car. Today I'm preaching for that person that barely made it here today and is wondering, is God thinking about me? Well, God woke me up to tell you he's thinking about you. Come on, somebody. All right. So God's thinking about me. What's he thinking? That could be good or bad, you know. Tell the person next to you, he's thinking about you. Tell him again, he's thinking about you. Because Jabez was that guy who partied, but then he came to church and God said, I need him to be someone great. Jabez was the guy. So where in the text does it say Jabez was a partier? Who who showed up and he didn't have a pedigree. His dad didn't go to Princeton. His mother, his, his mother wasn't part of the executive staff of this corporation. Jabez was just that guy that said, boy, is there a seat for me somewhere? I'll take the back seat. But when it came time for God to distinguish who would be the hero of the family, he said, scribe, write this down. Jabez was more honorable. And in the scribe's mind, there's this paradox happening. Like, are you serious? How can a son born without the knowledge of a father be honorable? Because there was such a pride in the descendants of Judah and of Israel, of who we're part of. And God breaks the rules. I serve the God who breaks the rules. And God loves to break rules. Yeah, no, God does not love to break rules. Uh, That would make God into a a capricious God who also sinned. To mix up people's world and their thought of him, even to jack up someone's theology once in a while. Because sometimes I think God gets this rep like everything has to go A, B, C, D with God. Have you ever met people like, by the time I'm 29, I'll be married with three kids. By the time I'm 35, we'll have our own house. By the time I'm 45, I'll be retired. And then by the time they're 35, they're like, I still need a boyfriend. Because somehow we go to God with this set of rules. Have you ever dated guys? Have you ever dated a girl that the first time you date her, she tells you what she's looking for in a guy and you realize this is going to go real short, real quick. I'm done. Because any girl that is that focused at 22 years old is scary. The truth is, you don't give space in your perfect life for the God who breaks the rules. He's going to break your rules. So I have to give space to a rule-breaking God. Yeah, I'm not seeing that in the text at all. This is man-made doctrine, and it turns God into a capricious... It's a sinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, God's law and the commandments reflect his character. He cannot go against his character. And for the person that's the Jabez of the family today, the one that no one is expecting you to do something substantial, the frustration is 
is you're just looking for someone to believe in you. Today you've come to a church where we believe in you. Right. Saddleback believes in you, not Jesus. They believe in you. Believe in all of you. But today in particular, we're looking for the Jabez's in the rooms. The ones who you don't expect, but God says, oh, I have a plan. So today I want to go through five things that I believe made Jabez a hero. I hope one of them has your name on it. Would you? <laughs> so we're going to read ourselves into Jabez. Wow. Okay. This down. Number one, the first characteristic of a paradoxical hero is simply this. Heroes choose to see themselves the way God sees them. Would you write it down? Yeah. How, how did uh, Jabez do that again? I didn't see that in that brief mention of him in First Chronicles 4. That's it. Facebook it. Instagram it. At Pastor Sergio DLM. Come on, somebody. Heroes choose to see themselves the way God sees them. The Bible says this, there was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than his brothers. He didn't give himself the title, I'm more honorable, that it was bestowed upon him by God. At some point, you're going to have to stop looking at yourself the way other people look at you. And you're going to have to start looking at yourself the way God sees you. As a sinner in need of a savior, or now that I'm a Christian, a forgiven sinner covered in the righteousness of Christ, exactly what are you referring to there? Born in your life, you're going to have to give up trying to please your boss, trying to please your parents, trying to please your spouse, trying to please your children, and just start by pleasing God. Because what happens to us is that as we... Yeah, Hebrews 11 makes it clear, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's see if he talks about the need for saving faith. Faith that looks to the promises of the forgiveness of sins, calls us to repent of our wickedness, our sin, and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And now, brought back to life, regenerated, filled with the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, in love and good works for our neighbor, for our neighbor's sake. Let's see if he gets there. As we grow in family and we have grandchildren and, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, we become the patriarch of the family. We just want everyone to like us. And that is a for sure recipe for disaster. Be who God called you to be and let God figure everyone else out. Because you're the best you that God's called you to be. But you're a lousy someone else that you're... I'm the best me that God's called me to be. Right, yeah. Uh Biblical text, please to be. Jabez, what's great about his story is he was a nobody, so he can only go up. He realized, if I will just see myself the way God sees me. Look at what the Bible teaches us in Romans 9.25. It says, God says, I call, what does it say? Nobodies to make them who? Somebodies. Let's read it again. Help me out. I call. What? I call nobodies to make them somebodies. Romans 9.25. Yeah, by the way, that's from the message, which is not a translation. Let's, oh, my goodness. Wow, that is, talk about narcissistic. So Romans 9.25. Um, mm-hmm. Let's take a look at this in context. Romans 9.19. Context, context, context. You will say to me, then, why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? 
Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now you're going to note what I just read from the ESV, which is a fine English translation. From the ESV, doesn't say anything about uh, God calls nobodies and makes them somebodies. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is so narcissistic. To make them? Okay, let's just stop right there for a second as we look at this verse. God's intention. He has a fixation on turning nobodies into somebodies. And look what it says. I call them, I call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where they yelled out, you're a nobody. They're now calling you God's living children. All those people who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he straightened out their lives. Jabez straightened out a lot of... Yeah, again, message there. That's not what the scripture says in Romans 9. This is man-made doctrine based upon a flagrant twisting and manipulation of God's word theology about who God can bless. I'm going to say this to some of you today. I may be only preaching to one person today. If you will give God permission to rewrite the story of your life and to change the labels that have been placed on you and to give him permission to allow your heart to say, God, how you see me, I will see, I will see myself. You will be surprised at how God can use you, bless you, and so I got to give the sovereign God of the universe permission to rewrite the labels of my life. It says no biblical text anywhere. This is nonsense. Cause you to be a hero in places where leadership is desperately needed. He just needs you to find yourself in him first. As long as I, you keep looking at him or at her. What does it mean to first find myself in him and how do I go about doing that? To define who you are, you're always going to live with the, with the vacuum. Listen, I don't care how many cars you buy. You can only drive one, one at a time. I don't care how many homes you have in Paris, New York, Hawaii. 
The bottom line is you can only live in one and you can only live on one bed and you can only sleep on one pillow. But if I keep trying to define myself by what have, have I accomplished, then what happens is you run the risk of missing out who God saw you to be. And sometimes we're so afraid to put it on pause to say, God, who am I to you? Because we're running so fast to outdo other people that God says, you're running fast but you're about to hit a wall and you're going to find out that the success, the success that you long for doesn't bring a corresponding sense of significance. And you're going to discover that your kids don't care how much you have. They want you. And in that moment is where eventually everyone has to look to God and say, God, you're the architect. What were you thinking when you met me, when you made me Jabez pick up on this peeps. Perhaps his start wasn't the best, but this guy won because he let God define him. Come on, son. Where does it say that Jabez let God define him? Buddy. Oh, look at your clapping. Come on now. That's great. Number two. I want to talk to you about this. The second characteristic of a paradoxical hero is that heroes believe God can still answer their greatest prayers in the midst of their greatest pain. God can still answer their greatest prayers in the midst of their greatest pain. Now, this is true that God does and can answer our prayers in the midst of our great pain. So don't think that what he's saying here is not true. And that might actually be a little bit closer to what's really going on there in First Chronicles 4. Mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, all oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Imagine this, that Jabez is in the midst of pain. And yet in the midst of his pain, the pain of his life creates a prayer to God that God is, is drawn by. I think sometimes what happens is we see, we, we don't value the power of pain. Pain is the greatest, I think one of the greatest forces on earth because it moves you beyond your comfort zone. The truth is, you guys, is that pain simply comes to announce that something has to change. If you think about discomfort in the body, if you think about pain in your What about the suffering of persecution? It comes to announce something has to change. What I love about the story of Jabez, what made him so heroic and what made him so paradoxical to the world is that in the midst of his pain, instead of looking for pleasure, he went to God's presence. All of us will medicate on something. You know, all of us, when we go through pain, we're going to be tempted to go somewhere. And sociologists teach us that when a person goes through pain, they will either choose pleasure or they will choose principle living. They will either get go deeper into pleasure or they'll find principles to engulf their life in. And I believe the principles is the presence of God. Jabez is the great example of though I'm in pain, he says, I'm going to choose to still give God my greatest prayers. He chose to medicate on prayer. The Bible says he was the one that prayed. Now imagine this. God is writing the testimonial of his life. And God says to Ezra, or whoever's writing this book, I want you to write this. He was the one that prayed. Now, what is that? What does that mean? That means that God was probably waiting for someone else to pray. He was probably waiting for his brothers to pray. But he said, you know what? I was looking for other people to pray. But the reason why I want you to talk about Jabez, he was the one that prayed. 
He was the one that actually said, hey God, I know my life is a wreck. I know that no one is looking to me. I know one is, is expecting big things from me. I know people have walked away from me. I know people have marginalized me. But God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray to you. And I'm going to ask you to consider me. And the Bible says that as the author is writing about Jabez, he has to write, he was the one who prayed. And I think today what God is saying to you is I know you're going through pain, but will you be the one who prays? I know you're going through a lot with your family, but will you be the one who prays? He is still looking for the one who will pray. I know it seems archaic. I know it doesn't seem sexy. I know it doesn't seem like the quick response to your situation. But maybe things haven't moved because you still haven't moved the heart of God. Prayer moves the heart of God. Jabez is a classic example of the guy that started from the bottom. Now he's here. Because he prayed. He prayed. He went old school. He prayed. He went OG on God. He prayed. He said, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to pray. I have nothing else to lean on. I have nothing else to be able to absorb this pain. I can't medicate with money. I don't have any money. I can't medicate with friends. They've all bailed on me. I can't medicate on my new next big thing because there is no new next big thing. And and he says, I'm going to do this. I am going to pray. That's a hero. He still asked God for great things. God, answer me. In the midst of my pain, the Bible says God can do anything you know, far more than you can ever imagine, guess, or what does it say? Request in your wildest dreams. He does it by working within us, his spirit and gently within us. Let me explain that to you right there. Whenever you read where it says he does it by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently. Say those two words, deeply, say gently. Everything that God does in your life will always go deeper than what you think, but he'll always be gentler, gentle, gentler than you think. He'll always be more gentle than you think for this reason. God knows your breaking point. And God is always wanting to come to the, he wants to bring us to a place where you can have a breakup and a breakup will always lead you to a breakdown, but a breakdown will. Where are you getting this? God leads you to a breakup so that you can have a breakdown so that you... What is this theology? It leads you to a breakthrough. And your breakthrough, if you let God do the work, will lead you to your next breakout moment. That is the paradox of God. That God single-handedly will bring you to a breakdown or a break a breakup. He'll cause you to break up with somebody, break up with an idea, break up with yourself. So- I feel like I need to break up with you, Sergio. Yeah, you're not you're, this this whole sermon is broken down. You can have a breakdown moment so that he can start working in you. What is God doing in my life? He's probably bringing you to a breakup. I've had a breakup. Then what's happening? He's bringing you to a breakdown. Why is he breaking me down? I thought he loves me. He loves you so much. He is working something in your life. And can I tell you something? Whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. You're pushing 90 right now. Come on, somebody. God is still going to work on you this way. How many of you just love the way God works in your life? Number three. Would you write this down? The third characteristic 
that makes a paradoxical hero that I find in Jabez's life is this. Heroes cry out for a miracle to be a miracle for someone else. This is what defined him. What? How did Jabez pray for a miracle to be a miracle for somebody else? This is what I think made him different with, between everyone else. Because everyone can pray, right? But you know what the difference was with Jabez? He prayed and asked God for something so that other people can benefit. His prayers transcended his world. You know, I've learned this. Never ask God for something in prayer that you can answer yourself. Jabez was different. Look at what the Bible says. First Chronicles 4.10. Jabez prayed that your hand would be with me. That is the miracle. That God's hand would be upon Jabez. Now, to pray for God, his hand to be upon you. I just spent six days in... Let's read that prayer again. First Chronicles 4. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, so that it may not bring me pain. Yeah, this sounds like the kind of prayers that you hear in the Psalms regarding the suffering we go through, the affliction that we suffer at the hands of those who are slanderous and gossipy and things of that nature. But it doesn't say here, you know, that he was praying uh, to be blessed so that he can be a blessing. He was asking God to release him from the pain and the affliction that he was suffering. Israel flew in today to preach. And while I was in Israel, I learned this about the hand of God. The hand of God symbolizes the favor of God, the acceptance of God. So when Jabez, who was rejected by the family, chose called the one who causes pain, asked God, will you be with me? Will your hand be with me? Now you're pushing it, Jabez. Just ask that he'll be with you. But you actually said, let your hand be with me. That was the miracle that God's hand would be upon someone who was raised in a context that would say otherwise. And then look what he says. I want your hand to be with me. And why? So that I could be wealthy. So that I can have a house in Newport. Come on now. (laughs) And he says, I want you to be with me. So that you would keep me from evil. So that I may not cause pain. Wow. Who's praying like that today? Hey God. Will you be really good to me? Because I no longer want to walk in those habits and those addictions and that mindset and causing people pain anymore. I want to be a blessing to people. I want to be a miracle to someone. And I want to say this, Saddleback, that's what you are. Saddleback Church has been a miracle to us. About a year and a half ago, you remember, I don't know some of you that were here, I talked about this new work that God gave us to do in Tijuana. Our church is in San Diego. We have three campuses there in La Jolla, San Marcos, and in the South Bay and Bonita area. And God moved us to start a campus in Tijuana. Five years ago, I started preaching in Spanish. I didn't know any Spanish. I knew it like Taco Bell, Burrito, and Enchilada. Come on, somebody. I had that down. But God really put it on my heart and said, Sergio, you need to learn Spanish. So I kicked it up. I'm the youngest of six. And so by the time the Spanish got to me, my parents were just tired. Like, figure it out. 
And so I'm in San Diego. I moved from Santa Barbara to start this church. And five years ago, God told me, you need to start preaching in Spanish. So I start, you know, I start just preaching, doing the best I can. And, and so I get a little rhythm out of it and have an interpreter once in a while. And I work it out. And he goes, now start a campus in Tijuana. So I'm like, that's where the dangerous people are. And that's when they were kidnapping people. We've had members in our church be kidnapped. It's serious over there. It's that serious. And so we start this campus there. And I'm going back and forth Saturday nights. This person gets saved from a prison. One of the notorious prisons there. She works in the prison. She goes back and the warden is so overwhelmed by the miracle in her life. He goes, what happened to you? He goes, well, I went to this church. I found Christ. And he says, well, bring me the person that helped you. So I show up. And this is the paradox. Where I didn't want to go became the place where God did the greatest work. Because sometimes what you don't want to do is simply your flesh telling you, stay away because it's not comfortable. When you obey the Holy Spirit, he'll take you to some places, some unknown places to do some of the greatest work in your life. And I talked to the warden and and he tells me, so you want to start a campus here? I'd love to start a campus here. And I'm thinking, you know, hey, you know, your heart is open. He says, we can just... You know, open up your heart, please. This would be great for me to open up your heart. Give me an opportunity to open up the door and provide some refreshments for people and just turn on my DVD and I'll be ready to go. Let's do it. And he goes, oh, no, no, I don't want you to play a DVD. Oh, you don't want to host a campus? He goes, no. No, no, no. I don't want to to just open my heart and open my door and serve. Notice this personal anecdotal story has nothing to do with the text in question. Yeah. Juice and turn on a DVD. He goes, there's a piece of land here. I want you to build a campus. And so a year ago, I mentioned it to you. Saddleback responded. This January, we just opened up a campus. And very soon, we're going to be baptizing close to 300 inmates. And I want to show you the video of what you did, Saddleback. You're a miracle. Saddleback is a miracle. Can you believe? Wow. Yeah, that's... um. Okay. Let me fast forward through the video, and we'll pick up on the other side of it. Here we go again. Church. Great job. You are so much like Jabez. Yeah, right. Number four, would you write this down? The fourth characteristic of a paradoxical hero is this. Heroes stay in faith to see God do it anyway, even when others said there is no way. A hero... Who said no way to Jabez? We stay in faith to see God do it anyway, even when others said there is no way. There is no way. Jabez was different. He did it anyway. Even though he was born in pain, caused pain to his family... He dreamed anyway. What made him a hero... Yeah, where does it say that Jabez dreamed? Is that he forgave his brothers anyway. There was a reason why he was honorable. He loved his mother anyway. Where does it say he forgave his brothers? If God went into Scripture and said, Hold it, scribe, write down that he was honorable. Somewhere in his life, he chose to forgive anyway, believe anyway, trust anyway. You're just assuming all of this. It's not a valid inference from what little we have about him. To be that person that says, I know they should be asking me for forgiveness, but I'm going to forgive them anyway. 
I know that they should be helping me, but I'm going to help them anyway. I know that they should be honorable to me, but I'm going to be honorable to them anyway. I know they should look to me and, and, and honor me for, for that I'm part of the family, but I'm going to honor my family anyway. A hero is a person that will do it anyway. A hero is a person that won't wait for someone else. A hero is the grandma and the grandfather that says, I know our kids are estranged from us, but I'm going to reach out again anyway. Why are you going to do it, honey? They're going to keep hurting us. I'm going to do it anyway. That's what a hero is. A hero is a daughter that says, I'm going to call my dad anyway. A hero is a son that says, I'm going to call my parents anyway. Let me read this to you. People are often unreasonable. This might be for you. People will be illogical and self-centered. However, forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will run, you will win some friends, some false friends, and some true friends. Succeed anyways. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. When you spend your years building and know that someone overnight could destroy it, build it anyway. If you find serenity and happiness and others become jealous of you, be happy anyway. The good you do today, people might forget tomorrow. However, do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. And may it never be enough for them. Give them your best anyway. Because in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It never was between you and them anyway. Uh, okay. Um, that's not what this text is teaching. <laughs> Notice the hesitancy. Do I clap or not clap? Um, maybe I'll clap. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, look at this verse with me. It says, so let's not get tired of doing good in your hood. Okay. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Do good anyway. Love them, dad, anyway. Love them, daughter, son, anyway. Be a hero. I want to close with this last thought. Number five, the fifth, the fifth characteristic of a paradoxical hero is that heroes honor the past while remaining ferociously loyal to the future. <laughs> I, I don't know where he's getting any of this. I mean, wow, okay. Heroes honor the past while remaining ferociously loyal to the future. Are you ferociously loyal to the future while honoring the past in order to be the hero like Jabez was? None of this is actually at all part of this text. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 4.38, this is the story, this is the end of the chapter about Jabez. These mentioned by name were leaders in their families and their, and their father's house increased greatly. The Bible says that because Jabez was honorable. He was mentioned in the name of the leaders of the family. So the guy 
who people looked down on, became the person that we're reading about. The person that no one expected anything great from became the person that made it to the Bible. And the Bible says that his name was mentioned among the families and their father's house increased greatly. Jabez made a decision. I'm going to honor my past, but I'm going to stay ferociously loyal to the future. Where does it say that? I'm going to honor where I came from, but I'm going to focus more on what my family could be in the future. And today, I want to talk to someone in this room who you're more fixated on where you've been and you stop focusing on where you're supposed to be going. I'm not sure if it's an age thing, but if it is, here you go. Psalm 71, 18. The Bible says about David, David said to the Lord, now that I'm old and gray, you might not see the gray Lord because I get it colored every week. Nevertheless, come on now. (laughs) Don't abandon me. God sees through all that color. Don't worry. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Today, cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience in order to help them make decisions of some kind or another. What David asks for. He doesn't say, God, give me a greater palace. He doesn't say, God, I, I want more land. I want another conquest. No, he's at the apex of his life. He's been in Fortune 500 magazine. CNN has interviewed him. Everyone in Silicon Valley praises him. So David is sitting there at his desk. He's done many business deals at that desk. He's made many phone calls at that desk. And now he's praying. He says, God, I'm older now. I'm just going to ask you one thing, God. I'm going to ask you that you'll give me the ability to proclaim your power to this next generation. I want them to know how good you are. I want everyone to know, God, how powerful you are. And he makes the decision. I'm going to honor my past, but I'm going to be extremely loyal to the future. And this is what I just love about our pastor, Rick Warren. Pastor Rick Warren has this fixation on the future He obviously is honored and honors where God has done in his past. But there is something about your pastor that has motivated and inspired an entire generation because he refuses to grow old as he gets older. He refuses to settle in a season of his life. And he's just forcing himself ferociously looking to the future and saying, God, give me permission to raise up purpose-driven leaders. Give me permission with this peace plan to change humanity. God, give me permission to have a voice in what's yet what's yet to come. Come on, Saddleback. Let's go into the future. Let's go into the future with our pastor. So the story of Jabez is about going into the future with Rick Warren. Yeah, no, I don't think so. How about your future? Recently, my, both my parents have recently passed, recent within the year and a half. My father was my greatest mentor a year and a half ago passed. My mother, who was the queen of my heart, passed in January. I had the privilege of doing both funerals as the son. 
And there was a moment when I was writing uh, the notes for my father's funeral that I, I wanted to share with the family, with those that came to visit him to honor his passing, this thought that I felt would represent what my dad would say to his family. And I want to read it to you with the hopes that you'll honor where you've been, but be more concerned about where you're going. A time will come, my family, when my life will cease and that day has arrived. But when- This is not a biblical text, clearly. Wow. I learned nothing about what Scripture really teaches from this entire sermon. That time comes. I ask that you remember these things. Bury my eyes if you must, but family, don't bury my vision. Bury my body if you must, but don't bury my beliefs. Bury my heart if you must, but don't bury my love for you. Bury my feet if you must, but don't bury the path of my life. To my sons, bury my hands if you must, but don't bury my diligent efforts. To my wife and to my daughters, bury my shoulders if you must, but don't bury my concern and love for the family. To all my friends, bury my voice if you must, but don't bury the message of my life. To my grandkids, bury my mind if you must, but children, don't bury my dreams. To those that have come to honor me, bury me if you must, but don't bury my life. And to those that I've grown to be with as family and friends, I submit to you, if you must bury something, bury my faults. Bury my weaknesses. If you must bury something, bury the times I've let you down. Bury the arguments we had in anger. Bury the words I spoke that discouraged you. And most of all, if you must bury something, bury every pain and sadness that would stop my life from continuing in you. This is what it sounds like when you honor the past in your loyal to the future. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not a biblical doctrine or a text. I don't know what this is. It's just some weird, sappy, emotional manipulation to get you behind the vision of, you know, Pastor Rick Warren as he's out there dreaming new dreams and thinking of the future and things like that. Would you please stand with me today? Let's stand. No. I want you to look up this way towards me. I'm better looking in person than on the screen. Those screens are actually photoshopped. They are. They have like multiple, uh, really, filters that make us really look good up there. Let's keep it real. Look this way. Just for the next couple minutes, look this way. Today, you're here. God's talking to you. Yeah, no, God hasn't actually been allowed to speak Mm -hmm, because you've mishandled all the biblical texts. So God hasn't been speaking to anybody today. You've been speaking to them, filling their heads with human man-made doctrines. But God has not spoken in this sermon. First decision he's asking all of us and specifically some of you to make is will you turn your heart to him? Will you say yes to him? Will you say yes to your need of forgiveness? Will you- Says the man who didn't even preach Christ. 
or the biblical text like he's supposed to. He hasn't said yes to God's command for pastors to actually rightly preach the word. Yes to, to knowing him as Lord and Savior. Will you say yes to Jesus so that you guys can begin the journey that he's been wanting you to be on? Yeah, say yes so that you can start the journey. Mm-hmm. And all he is asking you is, will you accept that what he did for you was real and was out of love when he died on the cross and rose on the third day? Will he- okay, so some mention of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, something to do with forgiveness-ish things. Not, not a clear exposition of the gospel or a clear explanation or proclamation of the good news. Believe that when he rose on the third day, he was thinking about you rising up from that situation. So when Jesus rose on Easter Sunday, he was thinking about you. Okay. So today I want to pray with you the prayer that I prayed that changed the trajectory of my life that I know will change yours as well. So I want to pray with you, but I want to know who I'm going to pray with. All you need is to say Pastor Sergio, include me in that prayer. We're going to pray together, and God is going to do a miracle in your life. And if that's what you would like, quickly, hold up your hand so I can see it. God bless you. 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 Apparently, everyone's sneezing. All right, so we're at the end of that train wreck. Man-made doctrines. We did, I mean, not hearing God's voice at all. In order to hear God's voice, you know, the pastor actually needs to, you know, preach the word. You've heard of this thing? Yeah. Wow, what a mess. So what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>